You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Let's hear it again for our kids. Woo! Well, I'm uh, super grateful that I'm not here to entertain you this morning because, um, as you know, those in the entertainment industry, the last thing you ever want to do is be involved with kids. And I'm just grateful that we haven't been any dogs on stage. Otherwise, I'd be having some serious issues this morning. But uh, I'm telling you, it was between the video and them saying the halo malfunction we had, uh, the responses to the questions, uh, you know, 
I mean, thinking about that whole manger scene, I mean, who needs instant myrrh if somebody were to bring cupcakes? <laughs> anyway, I do want to thank our tech team, our worship team, our kids, everybody that's involved with the production up to this point this morning. Paulette, Mika, Lindsay, our soloist, phenomenal job today. My name is Steve Marici, and uh, we'd like to take this opportunity to uh, just welcome you and wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, we're going to be finishing up our series on Acts this morning, uh, coming out of Acts 15. But I think the thing that I, I'm so amazed by all of this is pointing us back in a direction that's super significant at this time of the year because there are so many things that can be distractions, and that's the focus should be on what's really significant, and that is Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we've seen as we've gone through our series in Acts how God wants all men to seek him. He wants all men and women to be saved. And we have the opportunity to see the, this compilation of what took place in the Gospels coming to life in the church, whether it was the 12 disciples following Jesus specifically and Jesus mentoring for them and modeling for them what it means to be God-focused. And then we see the transition to the Jews first and foremost in the book of Acts. And then it made its way to the Samaritans and then the Gentiles. And everyone was welcome to make Jesus Christ Lord of their lives. I just celebrated my uh, 28th year as a disciple. I was baptized December 10th, 1990. And it's, this time of year is good for me to take the opportunity to reflect on my life and the different life stages, the different chapters of my life. And, and ultimately, it leads to a great sense of gratitude when I look specifically at the first 32 years of my life where I was not a Christian. I walked alone without God. I was afraid. I was insecure. I had many, many feelings of inadequacies in a lot of different areas of my life. A lot of those feelings started out at a very young age. I remember sleeping in a bathtub through about the age of seven to eight from time to time because I was a bedwetter. And just the sense of insecurity that took place because of that and just some of the interaction in my family. I was insecure in, in group activities and it was kind of interesting. Brian Craig and I talked a little bit about this a few days ago. Uh, I invariably was the last one picked. And then he reminded me that, he goes, yeah, well, you know, I remember this experience where, you know, you're those last three or four guys and the other team says, uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and take them? We don't need them kind of thing. I, I remember being on the receiving end of that too. You know, I was uh, a virgin until I was 22 years of age. And that wasn't my choice. That was because of insecurity. And I, as I moved through life and as I got older, security didn't come through schooling didn't come through jobs, didn't come through girlfriends. You know, my issues continued. My very first girlfriend cheated on me with a guy that was older and much more successful than I was. And it just, it just continued to feed into the sense of insecurity in many aspects of my life. You know, that my next serious relationship moved towards marriage, but I realized that she had more issues than I did, and I had a few. And ultimately, I was clueless as to how to navigate this particular situation. She almost died of anorexia. And we both decided at that point it'd be best to go our separate ways and break off the engagement. And the next serious relationship I had lasted two months before we got married. And I'm very grateful to say that I'm married to that same woman 34 years later. 
I would like to say that it has been total bliss. But for those of you that know me and Jacqueline know that mainly because of me, that would be a lie. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that those insecurities that I had carried over into my marriage. I was separated two years in. I committed adultery during that period of time. And that was something that wasn't confessed until years later and created all kinds of additional issues there. I love my two incredible children, but I was constantly stressed about how I was going to mess them up. You know, and did I mention sleepless nights? It does get better. Amen. I don't want to be Debbie Downer here today. But I thought a little bit of background would be good for us this morning, really understanding who we are without Christ, who I was without Christ. And again, I love this so much about God and about Christ is the inclusivity. It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what my background is. It doesn't matter what race I am, what gender, how old, how young. Those things don't matter. Because God has always wanted a relationship with me. I wasn't the last one picked. And I'm grateful about that. The title of the message this morning is God with us. You know, God started out with us, with mankind in the garden. And most of us are familiar with Adam and Eve. And even, let's take a, a minute to go back to the beginning in Genesis 3 and pay Adam and Eve a visit. Genesis 3, verse 8, it reads, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And this, for me, is just such an amazing picture. You know, we think about the Garden of Eden and what God created for mankind. But it was something he wanted to share with them. And this idea of God walking through this garden in the evening as this breeze just makes its way through the trees. And what a sight. How amazing that must have been. But unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. It says, they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, it was the servant, serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. And God asked, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And you know, and again, we think through the garden and what God created. There were all kinds of trees in the garden. They were good to look at. They were good to eat from. But there were two that God specifically identified. In Genesis 2, verse 9, it says, The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, at first, only one of those trees was made off limits to Adam and Eve. We see that in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, 17, it says, But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on that day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we see that after mankind, the humans, disobeyed God, God made other trees off limits to them as well. In verse 21, it says, The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And this is kind of interesting in the context of things here. This is the very first death 
on the face of the planet that takes place in the garden in order to clothe Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.22, it says, The Lord God said, Since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so there's this transition that takes place at this point. In Genesis 3.24, it says, He drove man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. This is really kind of amazing looking through this, and again, what God provides. There are two trees among many in this particular story. There was the fruit of one that was forbidden, and mankind disobeyed God. At this point, mankind was locked out of the garden from the other tree, the tree of life. And God gave Adam and Eve everything but one tree. He was willing to give us everything but the knowledge of good and evil. You know, would it have been okay for Adam and Eve to have eaten from the tree of life? It totally would have been. I think sometimes we can miss that. They just never got around to that one. God gave them everything but that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From day one, from the very beginning, God wanted to be with us forever. From day one, he longed to have a walk with Adam and Eve, his creation, a relationship with them, a relationship with us, a relationship with you and I. God was willing to give us eternal life with him. This one was just really, when you think about it and the choices, I don't know about you, it, it blows my mind. Adam and Eve were indifferent when it came to the tree of life. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we can go through times where we're indifferent. And our indifference can come from our obedience or our lack of obedience and what God calls us to, our behavior towards God. You know, who have you made Lord of your life? You don't need to raise your hands. Just think through this for a minute. It's rhetorical. Who of you here this morning has made Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life, or is it your job? Is it your degree? Is it your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, child, comfort, money, your bank account, your time? What is truly Lord of your life as you sit here this morning? Because if these are the primary things that vie for our attention, and we know they can be, especially at this time of year, right? You know, I, don't, I don't think the kids are the only ones who get excited about presents. I know a lot of you are walking around. Some of you got gifts already wrapped underneath your tree. And you know when nobody's looking, you're shaking and trying to figure out what the heck's in there. Or you're, you know, peeking around. It's funny, our, my uh, daughter and son-in-law had their gifts to each other shipped to our house because neither one of them trusted the other to not get into it. But when it comes to these things vying for our attention, if those are the priority, then Jesus is not Lord and the tree of knowledge is more significant than the tree of life. See, we see throughout the Old Testament how the Jews continued to put other things before their God and how ultimately it led to the ruin. You know, the prophet Amos was a contemporary of, the, of Isaiah the prophet that most of us are very familiar with. And this was, he was active around 750 B.C., he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about the restoration, this coming restoration of the house of David 
that lay in ruins and the division amongst all the nations and how even Gentiles would be called to God as well. And again, once again, we see God striving to bring us all together. In Amos 9, verse 11, it reads, In that day I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins I will rebuild it and restore it to its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, and he will do all these things. And then in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, about 50 years later, 700 B.C., he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this exciting news about God being with us again and how God would usher in this incredible new kingdom that would last forever and would replace the old one that had been destroyed. Isaiah 7, verse 14 says, therefore the Lord gave himself, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel. Again, we see God's desire to be among us, to be with us. His dream was to be with us for eternity. Even after we had fallen and given into sin, God once again, because of his desire to be with us, had a plan to restore that relationship to be with us. He had a plan to bring us together with him for eternity. This is such an amazing God that we serve. As we continue in Matthew 1.23, we'll start to see the fulfillment of these prophecies from the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Matthew 1.23, says the virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then in Luke 2, verse 8, says, and then... And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. In verse 11, it says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to man on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see what this thing is that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child, and all of them who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So we see in the Old Testament, Amos talking about rebuilding and restoration of David's house. In Isaiah, Isaiah talks about how we will know there will be a sign, a virgin birth to a son called Emmanuel, God with us. And then Matthew, as a Jew, walks us through the genealogies that lead us to Christ. And I'm not going to go through them name by name. But I will hit verse 17 for you in Matthew 1. 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. 14 from the exile to the Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And then finally, the actual sign. You know, what we just saw in Luke 2. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby in cloths lying in a manger. 
And again, we just see this incredible degree of sacrifice and concern that God has for us. This new covenant, this new agreement about to be ushered in, not through the religious leaders of the day, but the news comes through what? Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, but shepherds tending their flock. Again, God just showing that he's available to each and every one of us. It doesn't matter our social status. There will be a sign. You know, sometimes it can be a little sign, a little baby in the manger. Then other times it may be a little bit bigger sign. In verses 13 through 14, we see this heavenly host of angels. And I don't know about you, but when... I read the shepherds being afraid. I don't think it was because they had this little choral group of kids with halos and wings that showed up on the scene. And now I'm a little bit of a sci-fi nerd. Anybody identify what that sound was from? War of the Worlds. World. Come on, Devin. <laughs> I honestly, I, I just, I imagine this incredible, just these instruments that I can't even comprehend laying out this blast. And then these guys show up on the scene. I have a feeling that's why they were intimidated. That would intimidate me. The, the little fluffy fairy guys with the, the little bellies and the wings, I don't think that, that would quite get it done or get that kind of response. But sometimes the signs are big. I know for each of us individually, though, God doesn't always necessarily send the message to us exactly the way wrapped up in a bow and the timing that we would anticipate, right? And again, though, when it comes to that, it doesn't matter who you are. God likes you. God loves you. God cares about you. God will protect you. We see in this passage, great joy, peace, and favor are promised to us. His favors rest on me. They rest on you. He's on your side. Matthew 1.23, Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the thing that I, I love about my life for the last 28 years, is that God has called me, Steve Marici, to something amazing. He calls us into a true relationship with him. 28 years ago, when I made the decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life, to be a real Christian, a true disciple, I like to say I was super excited and fired up about that at that point in time as well. But I was scared. I was insecure. Because I had those previous 32 years to look back at and wonder if I was good enough. Whether or not I could do it. And I wasn't sure that I could do it. Again, I was raised in an environment where nothing I did was good enough. And I had a lot of self-doubt. But the more I learned about God, the more that I learned about Jesus, the more I realized I don't have to do it on my own. I didn't need to be perfect because Jesus has enough perfection for each and every one of us. I will be viewed as Jesus is, the way he is viewed by God, his Father in heaven. Why? Because of my call to make him Lord of my life the repentance from sin that took place, and the baptism for the forgiveness of that sin, because of that, I am clothed in something way more precious 
than myself. I am clothed in Christ. Galatians 3, verse 26. Galatians 3, verse 26 reads, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It doesn't stop there. It says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And what was the promise that was made to Abraham? Father of many nations. All nations would be blessed through Abraham. And we see this passage coming to life right here in Galatians. In Matthew's, Matthew 1, verse 23, it opens with the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And as we close out the book of Matthew in chapter 28, it closes out after the death and resurrection of Christ. And guess what? Jesus is still with us. Matthew 28, verse 18. says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely he is what? I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love this. This is my life the last 28 years. Jesus Christ passing the baton to Steve Marici? To each and every one of you that are baptized disciples, that baton has been passed with you to you, and he's walking with you. He's among us. So it closes with the passing of the baton, but with the reassurance that God is with us. You know, earlier as we looked at the book of Amos, the house of David was in ruin, and it was in need of restoration and repair. And closing out today in the book of Acts, we see the same passage being referenced by James the brother of Jesus, in Acts 15. James cites Peter's witnessing the conversion of the Gentile household of Cornelius in this particular chapter. And he says, in verse 14, Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people of his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written, after these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who does these things. It's one of the things I love about the Bible is its consistency, is its continuity, God has always wanted everyone to be saved. And he's been planning it since the separation in the garden. And how he'll go about and accomplish that. And you know, the pinnacles of the Jews was during the rule of King David. And we know things went from bad to worse after David's passing. Kingdom was destroyed. It was the beginning of its demise. The kingdom of the Jews was destroyed and lay in ruin. And because of sin... Many, if not most of us, thinking this through, we're living in a state of ruin ourselves. God was looking to rebuild the kingdom, to help us rebuild from the ruins, and this time build an eternal kingdom on earth and in heaven for all eternity. And this is still happening today. 
God is still bringing people together. I mean, if it wasn't for Jesus, would any of you be sitting here listening to me, especially after those kids were up here performing earlier? Let us remember who we are and why we are here. If God is rebuilding the ruins of his people, that the rest of men may seek the Lord, as we see in verse 17, that is God's purpose, that we be a part of that when it comes to rebuilding the ruins of his kingdom. We need to be honest with ourselves. As we have been rebuilt and restored to God through the waters of baptism, we're called to devote ourselves to helping the rest of the mankind be restored to the Lord as well. Amen? Amen. We know who we are and whose we are. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. And we know why we're here as a part of the South Bay ministry. We have all come from some form of personal ruin in our own lives, and we've been rebuilt into the image of Christ because of the grace of God. I'm going to close things out in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Ultimately, we are here so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. All races, all creeds, doesn't matter who, where, what background, how sinful you view yourself or not. There's some of you that are studying the Bible right here with us this morning. And you're waiting for that point in time where you can assess your own life and feel good enough to make the decision. You don't have to be perfect. It doesn't matter as long as you realize whose you are and the call to repentance and what that repentance looks like and where it will lead, which is ultimately to the waters of baptism, you know, some of you are trying to do it on your own energy. You're not a pure vessel until your sins are forgiven. And it's not until that point in time the Holy Spirit can reside within you. So why would you think you could do it on your own? You don't need to wait for that. You're not going to be perfect. And I see this over and over again in my life, even as a Christian, I mess up. I've made mistakes. I've sinned against my wife. I've sinned against my kids. I've sinned against some of you. But that's what I love about God. God gives us the ability to bring things to resolution, to remain unified, to work through our issues. As long as we're willing to look on Christ, at Christ, we can overcome anything. First Timothy 2, verse 1. This is Paul giving an admonition to the young man that he was mentoring by the name of Timothy. And as he urges Timothy, I urge each and every one of us here today to really take a look at this passage, make the application in your own life. He says, I urge, then first of all, the requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You know, we live in anything but a quiet age, right? You know, we look at the situation with our political arena today, and it's amazing how we can allow things like that to cross over into our own lives, and we engage in these areas that are sinful. Brothers and sisters arguing with each other about who should or shouldn't be president, different laws that are taking place, all this minutia that has absolutely no impact on bringing people closer to God. So he says... And he urges that we live peaceful, peaceful and quiet lives in all what? Godliness. What does that mean? Like God. Holiness. Like God. 
He goes on to say, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. That time was proper, as it is today. Mankind started out with God in the beginning, and that's exactly where God wants us to end, with him for eternity. But he gives us the, the opportunity, the ability to make those decisions ourselves. Adam and Eve were indifferent when it came to the choices that they had. They chose the tree of wisdom and knowledge over the tree of life. And I really want to urge you this morning to make sure that you choose the right tree. Because we see from the tree in the garden to the planks of the manger and then ultimately to the wood of the cross, God is for us. God wants to have a relationship with us. God's plan started in the garden and culminated for each and every one of us at the cross. Our God didn't hold anything back. He gave it all away for us. So let us make sure to express our gratitude as we give away the good news to others. And may God be with us. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray for communion. Father, uh, thank you for days like today where we can listen to songs that are written about you that help to soften our hearts. Thank you for our children, which is another thing that we, we know, looking to Jesus and his disciples, the disciples viewed kids as an inconvenience or a distraction. But the children were something that was dear to God, something that was dear to Jesus. And I pray right now, Father, as we take this opportunity to participate in the offering of communion, Jesus Christ, represented by the bread and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, represented by the fruit of the vine, the grape, that, Father, we can be grateful and we can think and give pause to what our lives were like before we really made you Lord of our lives. And for those this morning that may be sitting here thinking about making that decision themselves or not even sure as to whether or not you are Lord of their lives. Father, I pray that today is a day of surrender, that we'll take this opportunity to look closer to your scriptures, to think about whoever it was that maybe brought them out here this morning, to take that opportunity to really choose the right tree. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for the sacrifice that took place for me personally and each of us that call on your name knowing that through the name of Jesus Christ and the waters of baptism, our sins are forgiven, and we are one of your children today as a part of your kingdom now and for eternity. Father, I love you, and again, thank you uh, for the opportunity to really focus on you today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 